And welcome back to Theologies. I'm Ross Blankenship, here with always with Clint Bruce. Today, we're doing Bookology. Bookology. Hey, you know who's not here? Who? Bill Sweet. You know who, we're, who is here? Terry Jimmers. Oh my gosh, we're so stoked to have him back. We Terry, are. Thanks for coming back. Thanks. Yeah, Good I told here. Bill that we moved our, I told Bill Sweet we moved our corporate headquarters again. Again? Yeah. Okay. So he's somewhere, he's probably near Tulsa now. <laughs> yeah, oh he'll, he'll be back. He'll figure it out. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Send him to the Comanche Peak nuclear site was, that was pretty. Yeah. Something the, about a cavity surge. I don't know. It was interesting. The fact that he went there. Yeah, man. Listen, he's a go getter. He's a go getter. We just got to keep telling him to go different places. <laughs> so we're gonna do bookology today. We and are. One of the reasons gonna do bookology is before we started recording surgeryology, which was awesome, right? And such a big thing that we know we're gonna have to do multiple sessions of surgeryology. I mentioned a book and. Terry started talking about a book that he'd read, and you obviously, I know you read a ton of books, and right. and I read a book. I mean, I think my books are different. Um, I buy a book, then I listen to it on audio. Right. Dr. Seuss genre. Yeah. I mean, you know, green eggs and ham. There's a lot and, of good um, stuff in there. But so we want to do one of those very first bookologies. We want to talk about kind of why, but what, the role the books have played in our lives. And then and the question I want to ask you guys is, uh, the, the concept of books are so big. It's almost like, hey, who's your favorite mentor? I'm like, man, I've had nothing but mentors. So sure. we got to thin slice this thing, right? So I want to talk about historical books, either, yeah. either his history or historical fiction, yeah. like the one that's sitting on yeah. you know, I got your one desk right, in front right of now. Me, Gates of Fire. What is that one? I'll t- this is Gates of Fire. Let me, one second, though. Let me tell you. Sure. There's a feeling that you get when you read that last page yeah. that leads to a small bout of depression. Whenever a book yeah. is true, a wonderful. little bit of melancholy, you when it, don't want it to end. Yeah, and 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 that for me has always been kind of the the point where I'm like you know what that was a very good book. Yeah, not trying to skim through. I never really thought about that. I mean, I, I've I've experienced it, but I've never acknowledged it as evidence of a great book. Sure, sure. It's like the character in a movie that or a TV show that you hate. Well, he's just—he's doing his job. He's, right. You're supposed to hate him, and uh, and you're throwing heat today. I'm coming with it hard. Ross on fuego. Yeah, that is the classic though example of a great book. When you fin- you don't want it to end, and you know it's going to end because you're looking at the pages and you're like, yeah, oh, I got three pages left or yeah. whatever. And it's like when it ends, you kind of—I mean, for me, a great book. I walk around for 24 hours, kind of like a zombie. Kind of yeah. like, man, Thank what am I going to read now? What am I going to find a book that's going to be as good story. as that one? Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it's great. Yeah, and, and, and then out, yeah, exactly. Outdoing it. it's like uh, my dad always said. You know, we have a good dog. A dog died. You can't replace it. You know, you can't just go pick up the next great book. Yeah. You know, right. the book that I have in front of me is uh, Gates of Fire. This is one that was really pushed us on us when I was in the 173rd. As the movie 300 came out, yeah. this book kind of supplemented it. I'm not sure. I'm sure I, it came I, out. Before. I think 300. I think 300 told a dramatic version of but it i mean they're not the same you got to read gates of fire I yeah, mean, gates really of fire yeah. is about i mean it is an amazing book not just on leadership but on how unit so pressfield writes amazing historical fiction and there's three books and i, I for me i call them the trilogy you have gates of fire then you have the afghan campaign and then you have virtues of war and each of those books tell the story of uh, success and elite uh, pursuits through a different perspective. So Gates mm-hmm. of Fire is about the unit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Afghan campaign is about the boys, like the, the guys yeah. that are, uh, I mean, is like Ross in Afghanistan. And Virtues of War was about Alexander, about the leader. 
And what I think Pressfield does so amazingly, he tells you the beautiful brutality of each of those roles, right? It's fascinating. But Gates of Fire was the one that, if you were in the military, you were in any kind of kinetic unit, any kind of direct action unit, you were either strongly encouraged or straight up told to read Gates of Fire. Or you did it on your own because you saw it in the hands of the guys you wanted to be like. Right. Well, one of the things that they do in this book is they go into – the coming of age of these soldiers, you know, uh, all the things that they were made to do uh, to earn their right of passage into this great army. Um, and some of the things I found myself like, wow, that's amazing. Uh, they pretty were, savage. It's yeah. very savage. It's probably the best adjective to describe it. Uh, and I'll give one example of they would line these boys up and they would hit them like you were hitting tackling dummies at Navy, mm-hmm. Clint, and uh, trying a, a, a tree. And they would not have to knock that tree down. No nothing. Yep. No pads, no nothing. Just just So I'm the w- one of the three of us that have not read it. Okay. So without giving me the the punchline of the book so it doesn't ruin it for me, w- tell me something that's gonna sell me to to read so it. So I will tell you it is the most immersive Im- uh uh, description of Thermopylae and the Battle of 300 and the context of these things. But what I think makes the Aids of Fire amazing, is, and Pressfield does this really well, he talks about the totality of it. It's not just the fighting. As a matter of fact, in the, in the scheme of the book, the fighting is maybe 30 to 30% of the book, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. The forging and then the heartbreak and all these other things. It, it told, I'll tell you how profound this book is for me. It's one of the reasons I love books and movies and music because sometimes these people just say what I don't know how to say yet. Right, Ross, right. I think you've even heard me say this. I need to be around people who get what I don't know how to say until I figure it out. Where there's a there's a um, a sequence in that book, and when I read it the first time, I found a payphone. I was on my way overseas, and I found a payphone. I called my wife and I said, "Babe, I got to read this to you because I don't know how to say this, but this is how I feel." And there's a part of the book, and I read it. At, I, I officiated the marriage of one of our great friends, the son, who's also a Navy SEAL. And I and I read this excerpt from the book at their wedding. It was in their in their wedding, and um, but it's a, a, a moment where Leonidas is talking to the wife of one of the generals that he sent, who mm-hmm. and he also sends her son. And then mm-hmm. I don't want to spoil it, but it basically it um, it's not what you anticipate reading when you think of Sparta. This is. The king's answer of what makes Sparta great is not perhaps what the world would think would make Sparta great, but the king's vote matters, right? Right, right. And, it, and it, you know, the other thing when it talks about forging Spartan warriors, one of the other things that was equally as important as your fighting skill was your appreciation for beauty, the condition of your hair, your ability to uh, write poetry, your ability to be quick-witted and all these other things. Well, it was, rounded it, it was yeah. very deliberate yeah. to counterpoint the brutality of war with beauty. And in in spite of all the savagery inside of their development as warriors, there was an absolute mandate that you appreciated beauty because they knew that's the counterpoint of the soul is beauty. The culture that you're speaking about really brings rise to the plot because these men were probably knew that they were marching off to certain death. Yeah, without question. Say again? Without question. Without question. And that's what gets it for me uh, is you've got 300. And I think that that number is – not correct. I think it was. A well, it was, this, the, the Spartan number that's, that's generally yeah. correct. Yeah. Now the Athenians and, and there were more Gre- Greece responded. Yes. These different city states, but I mean, they, but they were led by the Spartans. Right. And, and right. the Spartans number was 300. So they were marching off to certain death, defeat, but they were there 
on principle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, um, anything less would have been a stain on the reputation, which, as Clements alluded to, was was not going to happen with right. with men of these caliber. Right. right. And so when we read this book, I think it was to um, kind of put us in a mindset of, you know, um, to do your job. Yeah. Like a Bill Belichick quote: "Do your job, uh, have some pride in your country, mm -hmm. and, uh, and 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 show no cowardice." And also, I'm, I'm just, you know, tell me if I'm correct on this, but it's kind of like you're going into the unknown, but what matters most is how you represent mm -hmm. where you came from. Yep. And whether you live or die, you have to do it with some pride. And these guys were going into the horrific known. Yeah. Like they knew. I mean, they, and so one of the conditions to be selected is you had to have a son. And so if you if Leona just picked you, you had to have a son. You had to have an offspring, so right? Because because you weren't coming back, yeah. right? Yeah. And so so that's an example of historical fiction. And I think Pressfield is perhaps one of our uh, most gifted historical fiction. I'm going out to get that book. <laughs> you get right. Afghan campaign okay. and virtues of war as well. But let me go around the room real quick and talk yeah. about a historical book, either historical fiction yeah. or just pure historical study that mm -hmm. uh, was really relevant to you, Terry. I'll, I'll start with you. Well. Um, there's three that come to mind, and I know with limited time I'll probably just talk about one. But and I, I know we talked about what three we would pick. I, I'm going to change just my a little one. bit. Yeah. But um, this book, I think that'll uh, grip a lot of people, is one called A Higher Calling, or it might be A Higher Call. I think it's A Higher Calling, and what it's about is it's uh, depicted in World War II, mm -hmm. and picture this, if you will. Um, the battle over Germany um, when um, our boys were flying from England oh, over to Germany. I know, and you, I know which book you're talking you know about. This, this is incredible. This I, is know. I know the story. Yeah, I don't know this. the book, I don't know, I don't, but I know the story. They were flying B-24. I think the B-24 is there flying. And basically this B-24 with its whole crew gets just obliterated, obliterated to the point that it's still flying, but basically it's, it's, almost, it's like a convertible almost flying right. back to – England. It's got. It's still over Germany, but flying back towards England. Okay. And so obliterated that there, there's essentially like no door for the pilot. Yeah, you, it you is minimally airworthy. Yeah. Minimally airworthy. Well, this German uh, fighter pilot comes upon it, and the German fighter pilot is looking eye to eye with the pilot of this American plane. Sure. And his and the fighter pilot is up there to shoot down American yes, bombers. Yes, and that's, that's what I was just going to say. Oh, yeah. He well, has to shoot them down. Oh, yeah. If he goes back and he didn't shoot down, he gets court-martialed himself yeah. and gets well, the thrown the bridge. Wolves you know? were, were, were he merciless. has to shoot them down. And he looked at that pilot. The pilot looked at him. And the pilot, American pilot later, later tells a story that, hey, I um, I am, was assuming he was going to shoot me. I mean, it's like, sure. that's what you do, you know? Well, this guy, this German, and again, it's called a higher calling because he was a real religious man, even though he wanted, to, he wanted to shoot down Americans. But he looked at that, and he said he showed mercy on that pilot and did not shoot it down. And his rationale was sort of like, well, they've got three hours to go across the English cha Channel or whatever it was that they're flying across. And it's like, he ain't going to make it anyhow. You know, sure, he's not going to sure. make it. So I'm going to let him go. Well, he flew alongside him. He for flew alongside for a while. while. He, yeah, he provided a little bit of an yeah. uh, of, of a of an air escort. Almost like a cover. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He actually did. And then, so he took off. So the book, basically, in general, it, it chronicles 
the rest of the war for this German fighter pilot and then the rest of the war for the uh, American because they made it back. And, oh, wow. And, um, and the, the, the ending of the book is like 40 years later, they found each other and had a reunion. Oh, wow. And, and so when they lived the rest, I mean, they, yeah. they, they, they traveled together. They became yeah. dear friends. They lived That's right. the last season of their lives together. Something wow. like that. Because the, wow. because the German fire pilot ended up moving to America. Yeah, and they the, found they each other. Like, uh, wasn't it like, um, uh, it's in Canada. It, it, Actually, it, one of them, I think the German, uh, um, he, he ended up uh, living in Seattle and then the, and then the American was in Florida and they had a reunion. It was amazing. And and they actually have this on videotape. You can YouTube it. But oh, wow. um, but long story short, that's that's one of my favorite stories. Now I've I've read actually to be honest with you, I've read maybe a little bit better books, but um, I'll kind of pass it off to one of you guys. What about you, Ross? Uh, I'm gonna have to go with the art of war. Yeah. Yeah. Sun Tzu Sun uh, Tzu. Yeah. Yeah. That, <laughs> I think that's the Sun correct pronunciation. I read that book before I joined the military, and on your own, just just yeah, absolutely. Um, the uh, and, and basically, what I took from it was that it was a book of principles mm. uh, that are ubiquitous in the sense that you don't that 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 they applied then, and they apply now, and they apply off the battlefield. They're gonna apply. They're gonna apply always, everywhere. Uh, Big props it, for ubiquitous. Yeah, always have the high ground. Yeah. Um, uh, whenever you are bedding down for the night, make sure that you're close to water, but not too close. Mm-hmm. Uh, always have scouts out. Um, knowing when to push your men, uh, the gas pedal on the brake. Robert mm-hmm. E. Lee, uh, a, one of the greatest generals in the history of the world, I don't care what side you're on, mm-hmm. um, was a big fan uh, and employed a lot of these principles. Yeah. Um, and actually it was said that his um, Robert E. Lee's wa- uh, wounded wagon train behind him was 12 miles long. And mm. he cried. Anyway, but Sun Tzu's The Art of War really helped prep me. And then I realized when I got into the military that a lot of the guys had read that book were in the course of reading that book. I asked my first team leader, I said, have you read Sun Tzu's The Art of War? He said, absolutely. Yeah. And so that was kind of, uh, I don't know if that's kind of, it's like did everyone that had inclination well to the, uh, the service academy is mandatory like oh, you, you okay. read, yeah did. you read it you read Mark Clausewitz's fog of war and Sun Tzu and yeah I mean listen when you go to a service academy you've declared your profession as the profession of combat sure, and war, sure. Right? and so there's these tomes that are critical and absolute and you are ill-equipped to lead if you have not just s- simply read them but sure. studied them and, yeah and and debated them and conversed them and applied them through the lens of history Ooh. and projected them forward in scenarios you might I find yourself I agree in. with that, with that thinking, mm-hmm. you know, that you probably should read this book, you know. There yeah. are there are principles in this book that you're going to need to understand, that you're going to have to have a firm grasp mm-hmm. on, and they might change a little bit over time, right? But at the, at the same time, they're all very valid points. Uh, so that, that's the one that got me. And then I'm going to add a little extra one on killing. If y'all haven't read that one, pick it up. It's about Vietnam and men's natural aversion to predisposition yeah. to Colonel killing Grossman. yeah yeah Grossman. and uh and how they get over it via the training and via the environment that they're in it's, it's phenomenal uh i love that book i've read it several times uh one he reads of on, on combat too is, is another one of his um okay so basically one of the things he talks about on killing was really understanding killing and understanding really understanding 
you know, there's these amazing percentages of, especially on a World War One, a trench warfare, and they reverse engineered accuracy mm-hmm. on, 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 hey, we had this many people shooting and this many casualties, which means either we train the most horrible marksmen in the world or our soldiers are deliberately missing, right? right, right. There and it doesn't, and it doesn't, one of the things I respect about on killing is it doesn't celebrate it. It doesn't, doesn't glorify it, doesn't it. Glorify it. it it talks about it almost as though you're reading a medical journal. Yeah, I was going right? to say, is it as more a, technical? As a, as a surgeon, yeah, as a surgeon, it's interesting. Um, in order to heal the body, you got to break the body, right? Mm-hmm. There's a there's a there's a um, there's a juxtaposition of those things, right? And so, right. on killing is written almost in the in, in a medical sense. Is that in order to end war, you have to fight war very well, very quickly, very aggressively. Right. Otherwise, it goes on too long. And, right. and so if the purpose of war is to achieve an objective. In order to achieve that objective, you have to kill the other sides. People then, we need to understand how to kill yeah. very aggressively so that we can be done with war. Yeah. Does it talk about the the more you kill, just the, the um, how you break people's spirits? Yeah. And they that's talk, how you end it faster, too? They talk I about that, the, the conditioning of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, let me put that on hold. Uh, Gettysburg, they went and picked up all the rifles afterwards, mm-hmm. and they found rifles that had been loaded five, six, seven times and never shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, with on killing that was in the Vietnam War where we're fighting an adversary, um, but with the Civil War, we're fighting Americans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, despite the fact that we were a nation divided at the time, there was a sense of, um, of, of camaraderie there. Yeah. There was a sense of family. I'm sure some of those guys faced off to one another, but I found that very interesting and something that you couldn't, o- that they probably weren't calculating. You would think, hey, ain't, you know, load, make ready, fire. You know, a lot of those guys didn't. They just act like they did, and they loaded another yeah. round and, and continued yeah. that. There's a guy named Jim Hornfisher. He helped write Marcus's second book, Service, and I got to know him really well. And he's a naval historian mm-hmm. and, like, last of the ten can soldiers and some of the Navy, uh, naval history. Naval history is fascinating to me. Obviously, you know, the institution I graduated from. But, man, the ocean, <clears throat> you've got – You've got two enemies at all time when you're on the ocean. When you're, I mean, the ocean's uh, an enemy you can't beat. And sharks. You have whoever sharks you're fighting, are one. Right? So you're contending with two adversaries at any time because you can't get the ocean on your side. You just got to understand what she's going to do. The ocean's going to win. Yeah. And so there's yeah. an element of vigilance and creativity and and um, risk that, you know, the, 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 the function of war at sea is – and, and and some of that some of that Hornfisher yeah. stuff is amazing. Absolutely, bookology. I mean, that's uh, I mean, just when you tune into the channel, you'll see a lot of these bookologies because oh, I think yeah. all three of us They're are coming. pretty profoundly uh, affected uh, in addition by books. to Serial Killers Part Three. So yeah. y'all oh, stay tuned okay. for that. Excited about that one. Yeah, let's, right. Let's go ahead and, and take a cold shower after that. <laughs> hey guys, appreciate it. Thanks for listening in, and we'll see y'all next time. Next time.